Well, good morning. Please open your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Before we get there, let us pray. Lord God, just be with us today as we delve into your word, as we apply it to our daily lives, and we grow to understand more of what you attempt to teach us and what we attempt to listen. We're just hoping, hope to open our hearts and minds today, and in your name, amen. Well, join me in Acts chapter 19. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take the Bible in the pew in front of you. If you're a guest here at Southside Baptist this morning, we welcome you here. And if you brought a guest with you and you've been telling your guest that you love Southside Baptist, but the preaching is just a bit, eh, don't worry, you're in luck. Our pastor, Gary Weber, is in Central Asia today, so you get to listen to me. And in case some of you live streaming hadn't noticed, I am not Gary. I am slightly shorter, not wearing socks, much more attractive, better beard, but not as good a hair. I mean, it looks good from the front, but if you were to join the choir with Eddie, you'd be able to see that it's kind of a half-shaken etch-a-sketch back there right now. But uh, my name's Caleb Chronic, and a few years back when I was deployed with the Navy, I had the opportunity to prepare a Bible study on Paul's third missionary journey. And I had the incredible opportunity at that time to be at sea in many of the same places that Paul was sailing in at that time. So when a verse would say that Paul's ship was looking for a place to hide from the southern winds that all of a sudden get nasty and pick up in the fall, I could go outside and say, well, I'll be darned. The weather gets really bad in the fall and blows up from the south. And then when it would say the sailors got really, really seasick around November, I'd stop throwing up over the side for a minute and say, hey, I'm seasick too. That's nice. But today we're going to look at three stories that happen in Acts chapter 19. So first we'll look at Apollos and 12 almost disciples. And then we'll move on to Paul teaching in the school of Tyrannus before we finish up with the seven streakers of Sceva. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that story too, don't worry. So each of these stories will give us part of the answer to the question, what does the Holy Spirit ask of us? So it's a question we don't often think about, but without a little bit of focus, it can cause great anxiety and some frustration in our lives. So as we've gone through the book of Acts, we have journeyed with Paul quite a bit, and we've yet to really describe Paul. And thankfully, the Bible gives us deeply relatable characters. So we normally picture Paul as this strapping guy with just sheer grit and determination in his teeth that wasn't afraid of anyone. But really, from some extra-biblical texts, Paul's described as being short, bald, bow-legged, and has a hooked nose. So really, at best, Paul is a bald Dennis Hoffman, if you want to picture him like that. And additionally, if you look at the map, you'll notice that Paul should never be the navigator for your road trip. <laughs> because here where the gold star is in Ephesus, which is where we'll spend most of the time today, is where he said, I need to go to Jerusalem and then on to Rome. So, I mean, he got there, but that's not exactly the route I would have gone down. Now, for some extra context, Gary today is way up at the top of the map, represented by the man with great hair. And it's important to humanize Bible characters because if we don't, we'll place them on an unreachable shelf that is just of little use to us. In fact, we'll do one of two things. We'll either build them up so much 
that their lives are of little use because their perfection is unobtainable, or will go the opposite direction and say that it's a nice story, but that's all it is. It's a nice fabricated story, and Paul never existed. And Charles Simeon described this as staying on the biblical line. So here on the whiteboard, this line, this is the biblical line. This is what the Bible says. Something above the line. If you're saying something above the line, that means you are adding something to the scriptures or attaching something to it. That would be like later in Acts, the sailors drop three anchors over the side of the ship to slow the ship in the storm. Now, if I was to get up here and tell you that the three anchors represent love, hope, and happiness, well, that's nonsense. It is three anchors in a storm. Claiming anything more than that is above the line. Now, you can also go the opposite direction, which is below the line. And to go below the line would be not acknowledge God's power and existence in everyday activities and circumstances. That would be like if I got up here and said, Jesus didn't really calm the sea of Galilee when the storm was there. It just happened to calm down when he woke up. Because you see, God, is, God uses means, but he's not bound by means. And there are three key things that we must set aside. Otherwise, they can divert our efforts away from what the Holy Spirit has in store for us and the direction that God has for our lives. Because they'll either force us to add something that isn't there, or we won't acknowledge the truths that are there. So that's the focus of today's message. When we read the scriptures, we must remember that the plain things are the main things, and the main things are the plain things. The plain things are the main things, the main things are the plain things. So let's look at where we are in Acts. So there are many ways to summarize the book of Acts. If you're looking for good summary statements, then you can look at any time it says, and the word of the Lord multiplied. So you had Pentecost to begin with, and then in Acts 6-7, the word begins to multiply through Galilee and Samaria. And chapter 9, verse 31, the word begins to spread through modern-day Israel, Lebanon, and Syria. And 12-24, the followers of Christ are first called Christians, and it begins to spread through Central Asia so quickly that it messes up Gary's hair. And in chapter 16-5, you see Paul's call to Macedonia and the spread into Europe. And where we will end today in chapter 19, verse 20, the word is strengthened as places are revisited. And finally, at the end of Acts, the word is spread through the artery of Rome to the rest of the world. So if you're looking for where the third missionary journey of Paul begins, you can look back at chapter 18, verse 21, when Paul says, But on taking leave from them, I will return to you if it's God's will. That, that's it. And then he sets sail for Ephesus. So it's not very dramatic. No t-shirts were made. Paul's third missionary journey. It just happened. It started right there. So before we get to the scriptures, I want you to think back to a time where you thought you were doing your best and you thought you were doing the right thing, but come to find out you didn't have all the information. You were happily going about your day, but at the end of the day, come to find out it was just all for naught. You just did not have all the right information. And this reminded me of a story of back at the Naval Academy, I had a classmate, Keith Schmidt, and Keith was told to go pick up the Admiral outside his office at 9 o'clock. So Keith builds in his own buffer time, shows up at 8.30 to make sure he's there in plenty of time, and then he waits there for over two hours. 11 o'clock comes by, and he knows he's got to get down to the mess hall to eat before he's going to his next class. He figures there must be some mistake. He's been there for over two hours, and he leaves. Well, at noon, the Admiral comes out, looks around, and furiously says to his secretary, 
where's the midshipman who was supposed to escort me? And goes back in. She says, I'm, I'm not sure. And so Keith ends up getting marching tours and weekend duty for not being where he was supposed to be. Now, what Keith didn't know is the admiral had told the commandant, have someone there to escort me there at noon. Well, the commandant built in his own buffer time, had told the battalion commander, have someone there at 1130. The battalion commander then told the company officer, have someone there at 11 o'clock. The company (laughs) officer told the company commander, have someone there at 1030. By the time Keith gets there, puts in his own buffer time, he's there at 830 for a noon pickup. So... Now, don't feel too bad for Keith. He's a pilot now, pretending he's Top Gun. He's got the aviator glasses, jean shorts, volleyball, and all. It, it, he's fine. But Keith thought he was doing the right thing and what he was supposed to, but he did not actually have all the information. He only had part of it. So with that story in mind, we arrive on the scene in Ephesus, where a man named Apollos is speaking in the synagogue in Acts chapter 18, verse 24. And it says... Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of the God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples and welcomed them. Now later on, Apollos becomes a very crucial disciple in spreading the gospel. But as we look at this story, Apollos is well-educated. He commanded an audience well. And also talked about how fervent in spirit he was when he spoke boldly. But poor old Apollos only had half of the information. And we'll get into the followers of John the Baptist in a minute. But Apollos is a smart man who has drawn a crowd and appears to be doing very well. However, when Priscilla and Aquila approach him and give him further information, he takes that on. And that's a very difficult thing to do. If you're being very successful, moving things along, someone comes with information, come to find out you're wrong, that is very humbling. But he sets aside his original thought process and takes it on. That that is hard to do, especially when things are going well. So while it's easy to focus on Apollos, it's equally important to notice Priscilla, Aquila, and the disciples here. Because they quickly saw one someone that was wrong, but didn't set out to publicly humiliate him or vilify him or hold it over his head, which the quick judgment would be to say, Paulus is wrong, we need to publicly tell him that and hold it over his head for the rest of the time. And sometimes our personal bias can at times really hinder those who are potentially the most impactful. So they privately explained to Paulus, what was wrong, and then encouraged him and told others to welcome him as well. So now when Paul arrives in Ephesus, he also runs into a group of believers who were partially informed. He meets these 12 almost disciples. So let's read. And it happened that while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who is to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There were about 12 men in all. So in verse 2, Paul asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? 
And apparently Forrest Gump was in the group and says, I didn't even know we were supposed to be looking for him. So the question also struck me of how Paul came about to ask this question in the first place of, well, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And the only thing I could come up with is Paul may have been using the Christian code talk that many of us use today. And you think hard, you know what I'm talking about, the Christian code talk. You meet someone for the first time, about three sentences in, you drop the word blessed, see the response. Later on, they say they feel like their cup is overflowing. Oh. And then you go on a little bit later, say the other day in Sunday school, and then finally you both relax and say, oh, thank goodness, we can talk Christian to one another. I mean, it's terrible, but I do the same thing now. It's how you end up feeling out, well, Paul, and this is above the line, by the way, but Paul may have done the same thing, and he was getting some strange responses. So he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you are baptized? I didn't know we were supposed to be looking for him. Well, into what were you baptized? John's baptism. Now, this has to be slightly humorous writing on the part of Luke, because even the followers of John the Baptist would have heard of the Holy Spirit, such as back in Psalm 51, 11, when King David wrote, cast me not away from your presence, or take not your Holy Spirit from me. These 12 men had also missed Jesus and his foretelling of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 26, Jesus states, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. They also missed Pentecost when the Holy Spirit was poured out. So these men knew about the repentance necessary, as John the Baptist preached, but either stopped listening or left before they could hear the good news of Jesus and the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. So, and, and what that does is they didn't listen to the fact that John the Baptist was the one crying out in the wilderness. He was the one pointing forward. He was telling the things to come. They just heard what they wanted to hear and left. And that's extremely easy to do today, to simply scroll through and read what you want to read or hear what you want to hear. To hear the quick quip or the brief headline, form your own opinion, and just move throughout your day. That is extremely easy to do, to just take our own preconceived notions, see the headline, and move on without fully hearing all the information that you're supposed to hear. And really this leads us to, to take on self-effort, because if you don't have all the information, you've got to fill in the gaps. And I'm sure one of these 12 men thought, this isn't working. I've repented, I'm waiting for something in the future. I'm trying to live the best life that I'm supposed to live and live it right, but I, I just can't do it. It's, it's just, I can't live up to that because this is when self-effort kicks in. Let me try harder because that will either lead to one or two outcomes. It'll either lead to pride or despair. You have pride that you're doing so well or you think you're doing so well or despair because you recognize that you can't live up to that standard that Christ has set for us. Because at the end of the day, the best of men and women are men and women at best. I'm paraphrasing Archbishop William Temple. He said, It is no good giving me a play like Hamlet and telling me to write a play like that. I can't do it. And it is no good showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me to live a life like that because I can't do it. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. So isn't that great to think about? And for the 12 almost disciples' response, look at verses 5 and 6. So they quickly set aside their preconceptions and accepted the good news. 
they were baptized and received the Holy Spirit. The root word baptizo means to identify yourself with and stand for all that the name stands for. You are so closely identified that you are determined to be into Christ. And these men wanted to make that public profession and sign of obedience after they learned the good news of Jesus Christ. This was a group who knew the scriptures. They attended all the church meetings. They had repented. They had wanted to try to live the life that they were supposed to and were attempting to follow what they thought was right. But they, like Apollos, only had half the information. Now, once they fully understood, they made the decision to put their original understandings aside and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And many of you may be thinking about baptism and the importance of it, and I would really recommend that you look at the example set forth here in this story. Because in order to fully understand and truly be led by the Holy Spirit, you have to set aside your prejudice. Otherwise, you may be partially informed and giving all you got just going in the wrong direction. Our bias can cause us to miss the essential things that are necessary for our spiritual growth and for our success. And this is the first point in your notes, that the Holy, what the Holy Spirit asks of you first is to set aside your prejudice. Set aside your prejudice. We must toss aside our pre- preconceived notions and truly listen to what the Bible has to tell us. We must ensure that we are staying on, on the line. The second point is we must set aside our plans. You must set aside your plans. So look at verses 8 through 10. He entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took some of the disciples with him. Now some of us would have been done after one week. Any of you who worked at BBS, you know what I'm talking about. Some of us would have stayed there for eternity, beating a dead horse on the ground. So there's a lot of wisdom there and just that quick phrase of he withdrew from them or another translation, so Paul left them. Knowledge and knowing to stop is key. It's also very encouraged to see that one of the greatest preachers of all time speaks somewhere and the reaction is not just apathy, but it is active resistance. Active resistance. In fact, if you want to look back at verse 9, the original Greek word is... uh, Scleruno, which is where we get our word sclerosis. These people had a hardening of these spiritual arteries. So this sounds nice enough, where it says that after Paul left them, he reasoned daily in the school of Tyrannus for two years. But we know from historical texts that Paul taught from the fifth hour to the tenth hour. So that's 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. And in a time before air conditioning, This is a time that Tyrannus, who owned the school, would have been more than happy to give up those times to whoever wanted it. And typically what you would have is someone giving lectures in the morning, and then you'd have a nice little break in the hottest part of the day, and then it would resume back in the cool part of the afternoon. But Paul takes what he can get here, because sometimes the Holy Spirit's going to lead you to a place that's like trying to put clothes on a small child. You take what you can get. You may want to start with the left arm and the right with the shirt and then move on to the pants, but if the arms are flailing and the legs are calm, you're going to go with that. You take what you can get. That's where the Holy Spirit may lead you at some point. Just like now, your plan may be to stay in a job for five years, build up of a comfort level before you move into the ministry that God has in store for you. You know that God's leading you to. Or you may have the plan to just quit your job right now and move on to whatever you think that you need to, but our plans don't really fully matter. 
In fact, the law of the sea states that you must do everything in your power to avoid collision. So that means you may have a plan to go directly this way to head to your port of destination. But if a ship is coming towards you, you're going to have to divert and go with a new plan. That's, this is what, and sometimes we can overburden ourselves with extra things that are unimportant that we can't do what is actually essential. And this is, this reminded me, one of my tours, I was the head of security on board USS New York, and we had gone down to Fort Lauderdale for Fleet Week. And I had a whole company of reservists that were assigned to me. And their officer in charge, Lieutenant Slack, Lieutenant Jeremiah Slack, I can remember his name now, he, he came up to me and said, well, sir, where, where do you need us? I said, I need you guys to stand two people here at this gate watch and just check IDs. Roger that, sir, we got it. Thought everything was going well. After a couple of days, still thought things were good. And then Lieutenant Slack came up to me and said, sir, uh, I don't have enough people to stand the gate watch. What are you talking about? It's, it's two people just checking IDs. How do you not have no, you got a whole company? He said, yeah, the gate watch. Um, the, the problem is I've got an entire sniper team up in the tower. I've got a bomb squad roaming the parking lot. And then I've got a drug-sniffing dog throughout the day. And I only have one person left over for the gate watch. And on the inside, I had a good belly laugh at what was going on here. I, I said, all I needed you to do was stand this gate watch. If you understand all the extra stuff that's around it, that's fine. But just stand the gate watch. That's, it. that's all I need. Snipers, bomb squad, it doesn't just stand the gate watch. We need people to check there. That's it. You see, they, had, they were extremely motivated and really encouraged and really wanted to help. But they had overburdened themselves so much with all the extra things that they couldn't do just the essential thing that needed to be done. And just as Apollos, they were just missing that one crucial piece. So God may be presenting us an opportunity, but we are so focused on what is unimportant, we miss the essential. And I don't know about you, I don't want to get the talking to that Job got when God said, who are you to disagree with my plans? That's not the words I want to hear. You're going to sit there and listen to me. So think of the patience of Paul here, speaking daily for two years in the hottest part of the day. I'd be out right there. I need air conditioning. You see, God equips us for where we are until he equips us for something further. God equips us for where you are until he equips you somewhere further. And this reminds me of a story that of a tour guide who was taking people to the top of Mont Blanc. And he said to all the people, tomorrow morning when you get here, just bring the ropes, the ice pick, a good pair of boots and the clothes on your back, just the essentials. Well, there was an English fellow who thought he knew better, so he brought some chocolates and cheese and blankets and a tent and headed up the mountain. Well, when the tour guides started bringing people up the designated path, they slowly found some chocolates, and he found some cheese, and they found a blanket, and they found a tent. And then at the very top, it was just as the tour guide said, he stood there with nothing but the clothes on his back and the essentials. You see... If we hold on to all the extra things that we think that we need, we'll never make it to the top. In fact, in turn, we will give up the top and make camp down the meadow where we understand the plan and we feel comfortable. But the Lord has already equipped us for where we are right now. And sometimes, sometimes we just don't recognize the position we're in. Sometimes we don't even know the position we are currently in. Because in one of the best movies of all time, Braveheart, William Wallace, who's played by Mel Gibson, 
turns to Robert the Bruce, and he tells him, your title gives you claim to the throne. But men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Not all people know you. Noble and common, they respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they would follow you, and so would I. You see, Robert the Bruce there did not know the position he was in. He did not know what he was already equipped for. He didn't know what God had already put him in place to do. And see, the Lord has already equipped you for where you are until he equips you for something further. So set aside your plans. That's the second point. Set aside your plans. Now the third point is set aside your pride. See what I did there? Never been to seminary, but I know to make three points and for extra credit, make every single one start with the same letter. (laughs) So set aside your pride. So let's look at what has to be Luke's favorite story to record. Verse 13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I abjure you by the Jesus who Paul proclaims. Seven sons of the Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leapt on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out in the house naked and wounded. And yes, I looked up the original Greek word for naked, and it's gumnos. You know what gumnos means? It means butt naked. It means completely exposed. Louis Grizzard used to say there's a difference in naked and naked. Naked is when you don't have any clothes on. Naked is when you don't have any clothes on and you're up to something. These guys were naked. I mean, just picture this. You have a man and his seven sons who go around performing exorcisms. And there's no recorded text of any Jewish high priest named Sceva, so he's either not recorded or possibly, to build up his credentials, just use the title as chief high priest. So he gets the seven sons together to do an exorcism, and typically this time they would use a name that was more powerful than the evil spirit inside the person. So they had heard about Paul and this Jesus he was talking about and decided, well, he's performing miracles, maybe we should try him. So they, they say, okay. Get the family together. We're going to do the name thing today. We're going to do the name thing. We command you in the name of Jesus, who this Paul guy talks about. And the evil spirit answers them. Now, Jesus I know. Paul I've heard of, but who are you? At this point, the exorcism's not going well. The family is wondering if they've hired the right people to perform this exorcism. But, but it gets better. The possessed man jumps. There's seven of them plus Skiva. So there's eight. The, the possessed man jumps on them and beats them senselessly until they are naked and running down the street. I don't think you can come up with a better story for a horror comedy than this. It's, and I, I haven't seen the original scrolls, but I imagine it's just a bit shaky as Luke it has to be laughing as he's writing this down. But look at the response here in verse 17. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who are now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic acts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. To put this in perspective, a piece of silver was the equivalent of a day's wages. 
So these people gave up what they appeared to be good at, the profession they had been successful at, all because it was incongruent with the gospel. Now, I won't stay here long, but some of us are missing out on real blessings because we won't put aside our magic scrolls. There are some real blessings and possibly even missing out on the gospel because we won't lay down the things that we hold so dear because we seem to be successful at them, even though it's incongruent with the gospel and the direction that God has for our lives. So, And look at the profound impact this extremely comical episode has on the city. Jesus' name was held in high regard, feared, and continued to prevail. And let's look at one thing that is just blatantly missing from this entire story, and that is Paul. Paul's not mentioned in the story at all. He was not involved here. In fact, aside from Luke's record of it, we don't know when Paul found out about this. And sometimes we use pride as our sole motivation instead of the Holy Spirit, what it is leading us to. Sometimes we use pride if we do use something in this circumstance. Hey, Paul, guess what? Some dudes got beat up and was running down the street naked because they tried to use your name. Or, hey, your church group converted 300 people this past year. Or your church has an increase of 50% in attendance. Now, all those things are great, and it's good to enjoy those victory that God places in our paths and some of those morale boosters, but we can't let that be the sole motivation for what's driving us forward. If we use that as a sole motivation, it's very easy to start taking on those victories as our own. And that can be extremely dangerous. That's why our church's goal is to develop fully devoted followers of Christ. To develop fully devoted followers of Christ. It's not numbers or attendance. Those are great things, but sometimes they can be misleading, and if they're the sole focus, can be ultimately harmful. But those superficial things are great pride boosters, but many times God may not make you aware of your personal impact in someone's life. In fact, God, or, see, Gary, I think it was a few weeks back or months back, Gary had preached that God uses the unforeseen circumstances of our lives for his glory and our good. I'm going to add to that and say, oftentimes, without our awareness or approval. God uses the unforeseen circumstances of our lives for his glory and our good, oftentimes, without our awareness and our approval. You may not be aware of how God is using you because you may not be present just as Paul wasn't in this situation. So set aside your prejudice, set aside your plans, set aside your pride, and finally hold fast to the gospel. Hold fast to the gospel. This means we must delve into the word to know when something is above the line or below the line. We must be in communication with the Lord daily and lean out on our understanding. We must cling to the truth of the good news. So around the same time as when Paul wrote his letter to the Corinthians, and after answering a multitude of questions, Paul went back to his consistent message. In 1 Corinthians 15, he said, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel of our priest to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you're being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, hold fast. You know I was going to use a nautical term to tie all this in at the end. But look at what it goes on to say. For I deliver to you as of the first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day. That is the simple message we must cling to and remain focused upon. Not extra things that we believe are important, not our ability to control and understand our situation, and not the praise we receive. That is what the Holy Spirit asks of us. 
Now, throughout Paul's journey, he encountered many trials and obstacles, but he continued to go back time and time again to his old standby, simply the gospel. Whenever he would go to a new city with new problems, it was the gospel. Whenever he was beaten, imprisoned, shipwrecked, the gospel. If it is what God sent to us, Christ left us with, and the Holy Spirit asked us, doesn't it make sense that the one thing we need is simply the gospel? Not what's attached to it, and not not acknowledging it. It is simply the gospel. What is on the biblical line? And I don't know your situation or struggle. I don't know whether you're here for the first time, or this is the first time, or one time of many. But if you seem to have some issues in really finding at where the Holy Spirit is directing your life, just take a look and see, is there something you're holding on to? Is there some attachment that you've attached to the gospel that may be holding you back? Make sure that you're just packing the essentials and not any extra things that you may be adding to it because understanding what to do is one thing. Not attaching to it is another. And that is why... We have to make sure we don't come in with our preconceived notions, that we're not holding on to our plans that we think may be best, and we have to make sure we set aside our pride because we may be going through it. Things may be going great, such as it is here in Acts, but it's not going great for Paul. If you want to go back through his two years, or two and a half years really, that we've covered in this segment, so far he's ran into 12 almost disciples who didn't even know they were supposed to be looking for the Holy Spirit. He was run out of town after a couple of months because everyone hated him. He ended up taking the sweaty hours in a lecture hall for over two years. And he didn't even know about the success that was going on elsewhere with the magic scrolls. In fact, a little bit later on than this, while someone was listening to Paul, they fall asleep, fall out of a second-story window, and die. Things aren't going well if you're from Paul's perspective. However, here in Acts, we know this is when the gospel spreads all throughout Israel, the current land of Israel, all through Central Asia, on into Europe, and then finally out into Rome. So things are going well, but Paul's not aware of it. That's why we have to set aside all of those things and cling simply to the gospel and go back to it again and again, just as Paul did. Go back again and again to just the gospel. Hold on to nothing but the gospel. And as the musicians come and the music begins, just think and ask yourself, what are the extra things in your life that you are holding on to and refuse to let go of? What things do you need to set aside? Don't let go of the top. Keep pushing forward with nothing but the gospel in your hands. Keep pushing forward and do not let go of the top. And if you'd like to speak to someone or you'd like our prayer team to lift up something specifically in prayer, as you just put that down on your communication card before you put it down on the offering plate. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, we come to you and ask that we may grow closer to you each day. In order to do that, Lord, we know that we must shed the things that we have attached to your word and your promises and come to you with nothing but the essential gospel as our pardon. We pray that we won't let our own understandings, our own plans, or our pride stand in the way of the blessings you have in store for us. And Lord, we pray that we may go out into our daily lives with you guiding our every step. Lord, lead, guide, and direct us, and forgive us for your failure. In your name, amen.